The Word of God is proclaimed, John chapter 4, verses 1 through 26. Now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although, in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. Now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw from the well. He told her, Go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you're right when you say you have no husband. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know, that we worship what we do know. For salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship in the spirit and in the truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. This is the word of the Lord. The title of this morning's message is Mission. Every morning, even before I roll out of bed, I seem to already have a list of things that I have to do. I have to shut off the alarm clock. I have to get out of bed. I have to brush my teeth. I have to comb my hair. I have to wash 
my face. I have to make breakfast. I have to eat breakfast. I have to clean up. After breakfast, I have to pack lunch. And then when my wife and I are done with all these things that we have to do, we have to do all these have-to-dos all over again for our kids. When I arrive at church, do you know what I find? I find a whole new list of all the things that I have to do. Can anyone relate living a life full of things that you have to do? What do you have to do after service this morning? What do you have to do tomorrow or this week? If anyone can relate to the pressures, the demands, the lists of all the things we have to do, it is Jesus. If you've ever celebrated Christmas, you know that Jesus was born to Mary and Joseph. And at some point during his life, we don't know exactly when, Jesus lost his father. His dad died. And as the oldest son in an ancient household, Jesus became the primary breadwinner. As a breadwinner, Jesus knew the pressures, the demands, the lists of things that breadwinners have to do. You know that Jesus lived in ancient times. And healthcare wasn't exactly healthcare. There were, he was surrounded by people who were sick and suffering from disease. As Galilee's best and chief physician, there was a list of things that Jesus had to do as healer. Jesus was Israel's premier teacher. He taught hundreds, thousands of people as a teacher about the word of God. And Jesus also had three years to prepare his disciples to carry his message, this world-changing message that is the gospel. Jesus knew the pressures, the lists, the demands of everything that he had to do as breadwinner, as healer, and as teacher. If anyone had a life full of things that he had to do, it was Jesus. Yet, in the midst of all these things he had to do, we learn in John chapter 4 that Jesus was willing to take a break from all those have-to-dos in order to do the thing that God called him to do. In John chapter 4, verse 3, we read that Jesus left Judea, southern Israel, to go back up north to Galilee. And the Bible says in John 4, verse 3, now he had to go through Samaria. But did you know that Jesus didn't have to go through Samaria? There was plenty of routes around Samaria. He didn't have to go through. He could have done what ancient Jews did, which was go around Samaria. Yet, Jesus reports back to John, his beloved disciple, one of his closest followers, that he had to go through Samaria. He had to go through Samaria, even though he didn't have to go through Samaria. What I want you to see is that there are two categories of have-to-dos. There are the have-to-dos that we have to do as responsible adults. Things that we have to do that we're 
obliged to do. That if we don't do them, we will find ourselves uncomfortable, maybe in stress, or even find ourselves in a bit of a difficult situation. For example, one of the things you have to do is go to the dentist. Not something that you necessarily want to do, but you know if you want to have healthy teeth that you have to go to the dentist. You have to go to the grocery store. You have to go to the doctor. These are all things that we have to do that we don't necessarily want to do or feel necessarily passionate about doing. However, there is a second category of have to do's, things that you have to do. And I believe that this is what Jesus felt when he said he had to go to Samaria. There are things that you have to do that you don't have to do, but you have to do them because you're passionate about doing them. There, there's something within you that tells you you have to do it. You feel some sort of inspiration about having to do this thing. And I would say that when you have that, when you feel that pull or that desire or you have that nagging thought about this thing that you have to do, you really should do, you feel passionate about doing that, God is the one who is behind that have to do. It's something that you were built to do, something that God has designed you and only you to do. And you have to do it because it's something that God has for you. When Jesus went to Samaria and said he had to go, this was something that God had for Jesus to do. Here's how the story goes. Jesus walks about 30 miles from Judea to this small town in Samaria, and he sits next to Jacob's well. The Bible says it was about noon. There was no one at the well because in ancient days, no one in the Middle East would be at the well at noon. It was too hot to fetch water. We're not talking about spring weather in Connecticut. We are talking about summer weather in the Middle East. And so Jesus finds himself out by the well at noon under this oppressive heat. And a Samaritan woman comes with a jar to fetch water. Why would she venture out in the scorching sun and in the heat instead of fetching water when everyone fetched water at the start of the day in the cool of morning? I believe that this Samaritan woman was willing to be scorched by the Middle Eastern sun in order to avoid being scorched by her peers, that she was willing to be sunburned rather than feel the burn of being called names, being shamed, and receiving those dirty looks. You say, what was the source of her shame, and why would they scorch her? Well, as Jesus tells her later in the text, she had been divorced five times. She'd been married five times. She's living with a man who is not her husband. And we all know that today there are stigmas around being divorced. There are stigmas around living with a boyfriend or girlfriend outside of marriage. But the stigmas that are 
here today do not compare to the stigmas that this woman faced in her day. She would be called a five-time failure. She would be shamed as sexually immoral. She would get those dirty looks that you would give to something that is repulsive. A look that said, stay away. Stay away from me. Stay away from my husband. Stay away from my children. And so she chose to be scorched by the sun rather than be scorched by her community. Back then and today, no one gets married with the intention of getting divorced. No one grows up, no little girl grows up thinking, man, I, I sure hope that I meet a guy who won't commit, who I, I live with but won't marry me. She shows up at the well and she's thirsty. But she's not simply thirsty for well water. She's thirsty for a better life, a different life. A life that perhaps she's given up on. A life that she doesn't know is available to her. She's failed in her relationships. And I wonder if she wonders if there's a better or a different relationship that is available to her. So Jesus makes himself vulnerable. He says to this Samaritan woman, give me a drink. And she's surprised that this Samaritan woman is speaking to this, Samar this Jewish man. Jesus is speaking to her, a Samaritan woman. They were enemies, military, political enemies. It would have been extraordinary for a Jewish man to speak to a Samaritan woman. And Jesus speaks to her and he offers her the gift of living water, the gift of God. And she believes that Jesus, when he's talking about living water, that Jesus is speaking about spring water, water from a spring. That was one of the ways that they referred to spring water, cool water, water that bubbled up from the ground, pure water, clean water, healthy water. So she believes that they're having a surface level conversation about water and she's interested in this living water this spring water and she even says to Jesus give me this water and that's when Jesus goes a little bit deeper he gets her attention he says you've been married five times you've had five husbands and the man you live with is not your husband so now Jesus transitions from a story about water to her story her story of, of pain, her story of weakness. The story that she'd probably rather not anyone know or tell. And he mentions this and she changes the subject. She says, I can see that you're a prophet. Let's not talk about me, let's talk about you. I can see that you're a prophet. And then she moves to talk about religion. She says, our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. She's saying, we, we go to First Congregational Church and you go to First Presbyterian Church. Your worship services are at 9 and 10.30. Our worship services are in the evening. And Jesus is not interested in talking religion. Jesus is interested in talking to her about a different type 
of relationship. He's interested in speaking to her about a different type of relationship that will lead to a different type of life. She's, he had to go to Samaria to talk to her about this one thing. And do you know that this is the longest recorded conversation in all of Scripture? He had to go to have this conversation with this Samaritan woman who was broken and thirsty. And he tells her that a time is coming when you and I, when we will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, right? Because it doesn't matter which mountain you worship God on. What matters is that you worship God. You Samaritans worship, he says in verse 23, what you do not know. He's saying you, you don't know God. You're, you don't have a relationship with God the Father. The relationship that's missing from your life is not a relationship with another husband. The relationship that's missing from your life is your relationship with the Father. A relationship with the protector, with the defender, with a Father who will never give up on you or run out on you or throw you out of the house. You need a relationship with the Father. You need to know the Father. And Jesus has come so that she will know the Father because everyone who knows and worships the Son knows and has seen the Father. And he says that salvation is coming and that salvation is from the Jews. And Jesus saying, hint, hint, I'm the Jewish man in front of you. Salvation comes from the Jews. He's implying that he's leading her on so that she she is prepared to receive Jesus as Savior. And the woman starts to catch on and she says, I know that Messiah, Christ, Savior is coming. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. And Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. Do you know that Jesus kept his identity hidden? during the beginning of his ministry, yet in John 4, this Samaritan woman is the first person that Jesus reveals himself to as Messiah, Christ, and Savior. This is what Jesus had to do. He took a break from everything that he had to do because he had to introduce this woman to a different kind of relationship that would lead to eternal life. It was a relationship with her eternal Father, God Almighty, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And he promises that she would be filled with living water. I believe that as soon as she came to believe that Jesus was Messiah in Christ that in this very text she was filled with the living water and when he references the living water this water that will make you come alive and feel alive with the life of God uh, that she receives this Holy Spirit the Spirit of God because we learn as you continue reading the story that she left her jar, she sprang into action and she went out and told all of Samaria about this man who told her everything that she had ever done. And as a result of her testimony, there was a revival in Samaria. You know, this all happened because 
Jesus was willing to leave everything that he had to do because he had to do the thing that God had for him to do. I believe that God designed you with a mission, with a have to do. I believe that when God birthed you, that God birthed you with these have to do's, with these missions for your life. I believe that when God birthed First Presbyterian Church of Fairfield 167 plus years ago, that he has birthed his church, us, with a mission. And so the question that we ask as individuals and as First Presby is, what is the thing that God has for us to do and as we go out and do the things that God has for us to do not only will those around us come to know the life and the relationship that is ours that is now and forever not only will they come to life but first presby we will also come alive so don't let everything you have to do keep you from doing what you truly have to do. Thanks be to God. Amen.